On this episode of Sports and More, I have no good excuse for not having recorded a podcast in more than two weeks, but I do have a big podcast for you today about the UNC academic athletic scandal that I think you'll want to hear, whether you think Chapel Hill is blue heaven or full of a bunch of tar holes. I set straight some misconceptions about the scandal, tell you why people on both sides of this issue shouldn't like the NCAA, and take a selfish moment as a Tar Heel fan to celebrate the end of this whole daggum thing. All that and much, much more, including Joe Barry's frustration with video games, a brand new seasonal segment, and a bedtime story about politics. I'm John Thomas, and Sports and More starts right now. Sports and more, episode 7, I think. I've pretty much lost track considering I'm doing this for the first time in more than two weeks. John Thomas thanking you for sticking with me and hopefully sticking with the podcast. Maybe this will make you appreciate the podcast more now that you have to go more than two weeks without it. I plan to not do this again. I apologize. Uh, I have no great excuse for not having uploaded, uh, but it also has absolutely nothing to do, I can tell you this, Nothing to do with FIFA 18 coming out a couple of weeks ago whatsoever. That and me not doing podcasts have absolutely no correlation there whatsoever. Just wanted to clear that up. A jam-packed podcast for you today since we have been gone for more than two weeks. Thank you again for tuning in and listening. But I begin with a brand new segment on the podcast, a two-part segment, one at the beginning of the podcast, one at the end. It's called Season's Greetings, because here on the podcast, I'm announcing the brand new release of the Sports and More Pumpkin Spice Podcast, featuring cinnamon, brown sugar, and garnish with real leaves from all those leaves you still haven't raked up outside. Now available for just $9.99 plus shipping and handling, found anywhere pumpkin spice products are sold. Which is everywhere. Guys, can we have anything that's not pumpkin spice? I saw pumpkin spice Cheerios in the grocery store. Seriously, are we all this basic? Let's keep it to Starbucks and pumpkin spice lattes. My mom's getting in on this, by the way. She feels very up on all the trends. I don't want to inform her that she may be basic. Hashtag basic because of it. But that's okay. Mom can afford to to do that and get in on all the pumpkin spice trends. But I won't distract any longer from the fact that, yes, this is the UNC scandal episode of Sports and More. We'll have a lot more to come at the end. I mentioned Joel Berry's broken hand. I'll fix a problem, I think, with the MLB postseason. Again, a brand new segment, a bedtime story, jam-packed episode. But first, we have to start with the UNC athletic academic scandal. Surely by this point, it's been 10 days or so since the news came out. So this isn't, won't be necessarily reactionary, though I will give you some disclaimers before I go into the UNC scandal portion of the podcast. Number one, I'm a UNC graduate, so take what I say with a grain of salt. Let's start with some disclaimers. I'm not proud of this in any way. I'm not proud of UNC getting through this scandal kind of easy. I'm not really celebrating the lack of punishment here from the NCAA. I'm very surprised, personally, that something didn't happen. 
But I am celebrating that it's over. The NCAA has been investigating Carolina in some form or fashion for seven years. It drove me to the point that, honestly, I didn't care what the penalties were. I didn't think banners were ever going to be taken down. So I didn't really care what the penalties were. I just wanted to stop hearing about all this. I am surprised, like I said, though, the NCAA didn't do more. Now, what UNC's lawyers argued was smart and correct that this doesn't really fit under any NCAA bylaws. UNC argued that, hey, you don't have any jurisdiction here, NCAA, so stop trying to act like you do. I pretty much felt that to be true, but I still figured the NCAA would find a way to do what it wanted because that's just what the NCAA seems to do. Because in the most recent notice of allegations, yes, there were three of them, and we'll get into exactly what the notice of allegations were in just a moment, the NCAA upped its punishments and allegations after dropping them back in the second notice of allegations. So this little timeline here, the NCAA gave North Carolina its first notice of allegations, lots of things in there for women's basketball, men's basketball was mentioned, I believe football was mentioned, baseball had maybe even been mentioned, and people were ready, chomping at the bit to have Carolina assessed all of these different punishments for all of these allegations. But then, maybe a year later, my, my timeline's all fuzzy on this, maybe a year later, the NCAA releases another NOA, Notice of Allegations, and it's dropped back considerably, really only talking about women's basketball. I think there were maybe 12 allegations compared to tens or hundreds in the first Notice of Allegations. And I think the NCAA expected UNC to just accept that and move on, but UNC continued to maintain its stance that the NCAA had no jurisdiction in any of this, and so UNC shouldn't receive any punishment. Well, when they told the NCAA back, the NCAA seemed to say, well, we'll show you, and up the punishments back to closer what they were in the first notice of allegations when they released another notice of allegations six months or so later. So that, to me, tells me the NCAA really wanted to get at UNC and really wanted to punish UNC even though it felt and kind of knew that their jurisdiction didn't really encompass this. So let's address some misconceptions with this, and I think we'll get to the NCAA portion of this, which is where the really huge issues lie, and my problems with the issue lie, because like I've said, I think UNC kind of got off easy here. But there are misconceptions. One of them, a big one, is that UNC got out of all of this completely scot-free, academically and athletically, even dating back to all the football stuff from 2010. Folks, UNC didn't get off scot-free in 2010 when all the football stuff started. And I'm not talking about academic-athletic. I'm talking about uh, some improper benefits issues, that sort of thing. UNC vacated wins. UNC fired its football coach. The chancellor resigned. I mean, all kinds of things happen regarding this, and that encompasses all of the issues with improper benefits, recruiting, parking tickets. I heard that stuff brought up about how UNC players can still get away with having the university pay for their parking tickets. Folks, all of that stuff was addressed, and North Carolina was punished by the NCAA for that, and UNC vacated wins for that because of NC the NCAA's rulings. Now, I believe North Carolina was very fortunate to not receive really any sort of punishment from the NCAA, but people are complaining that North Carolina received no punishment whatsoever. They were investigated by the Southern Association of Colleges and Universities, Colleges and Schools, 
S-A-C-S is the abbreviation, SACS. They were investigated by SACS and placed on probation by SACS. And if North Carolina had not made changes and had not rectified a lot of the issues that had gone on for however many years this thing ended up stretching out, then SACS would have removed the university's accreditation, is my understanding of that. So North Carolina was placed on probation and investigated. SACS was satisfied with the changes North Carolina had made, so the university was then removed from probation on the academic side of things, which does fit with UNC's claim that this was an academic issue, not an athletic issue. Now, is that necessarily true? Obviously not. It's not totally true because athletes were involved in these classes. Athletes took these classes. They got grades they didn't deserve based on the work that they were given. That led a lot of people to make the moralistic argument that, well, if UNC really cared about the students and really cared about these kids, then they would take down their own banners and vacate their own wins. Folks, no one does that. No one ever takes down their own banners. No one vacates their own wins. That's something the NCAA does. But some people wanted to hold UNC to a higher regard. Maybe they just wanted to see banners come down in the Smith Center. But that's just not what happened. And the NCAA didn't really have the power to make that happen in this case. The NCAA ended up breaking their own rules in these investigations and kind of made things up as they go along. I believe they saw something happening that they felt was wrong at North Carolina and tried to step in, which is good, but it was well outside their jurisdiction. And that brings us to a brand new segment here on Sports and More. It's not really a recurring segment, but it could be, called The NCAA Makes No Sense. I think people on both sides of this issue can agree on this. Let's take this from the most obvious perspective first, and I've alluded to this a lot. The NCAA stepped in where it shouldn't have. That's where all of this starts. The NCAA made it seem like they were going to be able to punish North Carolina when they pretty much knew they weren't going to be able to. They saw something wrong, felt it should be fixed, but it's not their place to do so. As I already mentioned, the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools did their own investigation and assessed their own punishment to the academic side of things. And a lot of people were fired. The people who were involved were fired. The people who were involved are no longer with the school. There was a ton of turnover. And that's how UNC addressed this. Now, does this create a loophole? Absolutely, with the NCAA. This scandal involved athletes. It should probably have some form of punishment to athletics. Now, did UNC deliberately exploit that loophole and set up all of this as a big conspiracy just to exploit and know that that loophole existed? I have no idea. I don't believe so, but I have no idea. The NCAA knew this wasn't in their jurisdiction, but they came after North Carolina anyway. It's just one of many problems where the NCAA oversteps its bounds. For example, when a kicker from Central Florida gets forced to choose between his YouTube entrepreneurship and football because the NCAA said he was profiting off of his own likeness by making YouTube videos about football practice at Central Florida. The NCAA, where our athletes go on to go pro in something other than sports, unless it makes them money while they're in college, in which case we want that. That's beside the point, but just an illustration that there are a lot of problems with the NCAA. Oh, and don't tell me you thought COI stood for Committee of Infractions, which is what investigated UNC. COI stands for Conflict of Interest, whenever the SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey also happens to head up the Committee of Infractions. Don't tell me there's not a conflict of interest there, 
whenever the SEC is investigating one of the flagship ACC schools for these sort of issues. Again, I'm not saying North Carolina didn't deserve to be investigated and doesn't deserve punishment. I believe North Carolina does. But folks, that's a conflict of interest if I've ever seen one. That leaves us with a few big conclusions before I move on. UNC messed up, but the people involved have been fired. Changes have been made. Was it enough punishment to be put on probation and deal with all the stuff from the NCAA? Some would say no. Some would say it is. And I agree that UNC got off easy. But part of the reason I feel this way is because I in no way trust the NCAA. I think UNC got off easy because I thought the NCAA would do whatever the heck it wanted and punish UNC however it did. But it did not. I'm not trying to pin this all on the NCAA. UNC needed to be punished athletically as well as academically, and it was not. That is regrettable, but the NCAA overstepped its bounds, and it needs to fix that loophole and fix its own rules before it goes breaking all of its own rules to stop someone else from breaking the rules, if that makes sense. There are plenty of problems with the NCAA, but UNC is not without liability in this, and there should be some sort of punishment even though I believe the NCAA completely overstepped its bounds in this case. But hey, let's transition to more UNC-related news regarding Joel Berry's broken hand. The news came out earlier this week that the star point guard had broken his hand, but only recently did it come out that Joel Berry broke his hand after losing in a video game to Theo Pinson and a team manager, and then the news came out that, again, that game was officially NBA 2K. Folks, I've been there. At the top of the podcast, I mentioned FIFA 18 coming out. Folks, I am a huge fan of FIFA. If you know me, you know this, and you know that I am a competitive guy, and so therefore I get pretty into my FIFA games. I blame it on my sophomore year roommate. Shout out to you, Yako, if you're listening to this. Because my sophomore year roommate in college absolutely torched me at FIFA. We had bets, even, to the point that if I lost to him by five goals, I had to post an apology letter on social media. That happened more than once. If I lost to him by seven goals, and this again went the other way around too, but it just didn't happen that way. I could beat him by five goals, but it never happened. If I lost to him by seven goals, I had to buy him a pizza. That only happened one time, thank goodness, but... It changed my viewpoint on FIFA. I now play frequently. I play a lot. I've gotten pretty good at the game. But I completely understand why Joe Barry would punch a door over NBA 2K and losing to Theo, of course. I mean, when you lose to your friend, it's ten times worse. But I completely understand why someone would punch a door over a video game. Older generation, if you don't get it, think about the golf course. That's all I'm going to have to say. Think about the golf course and what you would do if you did something that you regretted on a golf course because I know you all have. I'm in the younger generation and I know I've done it too. From that to baseball, game two of the World Series wrapping up last night. What a game it was. A fantastic contest in extra innings. We're through two games in the World Series. Dodgers and Astros tied at one. They now go back to Houston for three games. The format in Major League Baseball is 2-3-2 for a seven-game series. I'm not sure what it is for the NHL. Again, as I established on this podcast early on, not watching a lot of hockey. Sorry, hockey fans. But again, MLB playoffs 2-3-2 format. The NBA is 2-2-1-1-1. Because I don't... Here, here's the thing about the 2-3-2 format. The Astros win game two, 
They split the first two games of the series. All they have to do now is hold serve at home, and even though they didn't have home field advantage in the series, they've won the World Series. That's all you have to do if you're a team without home field advantage. If you're in an NBA playoff series of seven games, 2-2-1-1-1, the team with home court advantage should never trail in the series if they hold serve. The series will be tied at two, and then at no point will the home team ever trail in the series. Major League Baseball is set up for the home team to trail at some point in the series if everyone holds serve at home. We saw it in the American League Championship Series with the Astros and the Yankees. Astros hold serve, win two in a row at home. Yankees come back and win three in a row at home to take a 3-2 series lead. That doesn't seem fair. Now, there are counter-arguments to this. One that uh, my co-host on the Voices of Experience podcast at the News Reporter, it's a local paper here in southeastern North Carolina in Whiteville. Please go give that a listen. We're on iTunes as well. I host that show, Voices of Experience. Search that on iTunes or on the News Reporter website at nrcolumbus.com. You can find all of those podcasts there, but one of my co-hosts, Franklin Davis, brought up the point that those three games will now be played on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which is great for ratings. That's a good point. And my other co-host, Dan Beiser, brought up travel being an issue with the fact that Major League Baseball teams have 25 to 35 heads to bring to a game. NBA teams may only have 15 to 20 total. Travel shouldn't be too much of an issue, but hey, that certainly could be an issue, and these guys have already played 162 games during the year, so it's already been pretty grueling. I want to hear your thoughts on the format. I really think Major League Baseball should switch to 2-2-1-1-1. I don't think it's fair to the teams with home field advantage, especially now that the MLB All-Star Game doesn't determine home field advantage. Leave me your thoughts, sportsandmorepodcast at gmail.com. Follow on Twitter at sportsandmore4. I'm not done. Don't worry. I'm not done. I've still got a little bit more. Just wanted to go ahead and throw all that information out there. I'll leave it for you again at the end of the podcast. That moves us on to part two of Season's Greetings. And the question I address on this part of Season's Greetings is when can you start listening to Christmas music? Folks, we're inside of two months until Christmas. It's really bizarre to think about less than two months until Christmas, and I put up a poll on my personal Twitter account because I thought about this the other day. I listened to Christmas music in the car for the first time in a while. When is it okay to start listening to Christmas music? Pre-Halloween, post-Halloween, or post-Thanksgiving? Those were the three options I gave. Most people would typically go with post-Thanksgiving, and I got an overwhelming response. Now, only about 30 or 40 or 50 people voted, but I got an overwhelming response that it should be post-Thanksgiving. I mean, folks, just just take a moment and listen to this background music. It's Deck the Halls. It already feels like Christmas to me. I'm all for the pre-Halloween camp here. I think you can listen to Christmas music if it's good enough year-round. You can always be in the holiday spirit. It can be Christmas in July because, let's face it, here in southeastern North Carolina with the heat wave, it always is kind of warm even when it gets to Christmas. We don't have many white Christmases around here where I live. I've never, I don't think I've ever had a white Christmas. I can't imagine that it actually snowed on Christmas Day here in southeastern North Carolina. So folks, enjoy your Christmas music year-round, but that's another one I want to hear comments from. You gotta let me know if you think it's worth it to listen to Christmas music year-round, and leave me your favorite Christmas music artists. Obviously, it's Michael Bublé season. Everyone loves Mr. Bublé for Christmas, including myself. Big fan of the acapella group Straight No Chaser as well. Get excited for Christmas. I don't want to skip over Halloween. I don't want to skip over Thanksgiving. 
Well, Christmas is way bigger than either of those. We know this, whether it's from a corporate standpoint or from a religious standpoint or from just an excitement standpoint. Christmas is awesome. I'm so excited, even though we're still two months away. It's okay. Join me in my excitement. That leads us to our final segment of the day, and it's the one that you've come to know and love, The Bedtime Story. Yet another lovely bedtime story for you, and I think I kind of teed this up incorrectly because I got you all excited for Christmas. I probably should have made that the last segment. Maybe I'll go switch it around in post. No, no, let's just keep it as it is. You all know we have to end with the bedtime story. It's the segment everyone knows, the segment everyone loves here on Sports and More. This bedtime story, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, get ready. It's about politics. That's my disclaimer there. That's my disclaimer. It's about politics, so if you want to tune away now, you can. Don't say I didn't warn you, because I have successfully done so multiple times with multiple sound effects. And it's about, this bedtime story is about Donald Trump's appeal to voters, and his appeal to voters of being apolitical. Back when all of the primary elections were going on and the general election, Donald Trump's appeal to a lot of people, I heard a lot of people say this, is that, well, he's apolitical. He's not a political figure. He's not ingrained in politics. Folks, I'd like to use this moment of bedtime story here to argue, whether you like him or not, that Donald Trump is the most political, and I'd argue divisive, president we've ever seen. I don't think apolitical is the right term. I think he's just kind of bad at politics. He's not very good at it. If someone disagrees with him, he'll fire him, he'll silence him, do whatever he has to do to make sure that he doesn't hear all of the haters, to use the young generation term. I mean, he's kind of the ultimate mudslinger. Let's go to his Twitter account. Now, I know a lot of people will say, oh, it's just his Twitter account, whatever. I don't care about what I say on my Twitter account. Yes, but you're not the president of the United States. Let's just read his let's just read his most recent tweets from 7 hours ago. Oh, there are two more have popped up now that I've pulled up his Twitter. Here we go. Ed Gillespie, mm. Ed Gillespie will be a great governor of Virginia. His opponent doesn't even show up to meetings or work and will be very weak on crime. So that's good. You get the support for someone he likes, but then he just has to throw the mudslinging in there. And then from a day ago, Clinton campaign and DNC paid for research that led to the anti-Trump fake news dossier. The victim here is the president, quoting at Fox News. And it's the kind of thing that I think Donald Trump thinks he's still campaigning. You still see a lot of tweets about Hillary Clinton. I saw that his website had released these new Halloween-themed Make America Great Again hats. I get they're popular, but... What purpose are they serving? You're not campaigning anymore. You won. Maybe he's already looking forward to a second term. I don't know, but I'd rather have him focus a little bit on this term. But let's read the definition of politics, the first thing that comes up on the internet when you Google it, to get to the heart of this matter. The definition, the activities associated with the governance of a country or other area, especially the debate or conflict among individuals or parties having or hoping to achieve power, or the activities of governments concerning the political relations between countries. Now, to me, this implies some sort of compromise or diplomacy, and Donald Trump does a little bit of that, but again, whether you like him or not, 
I personally am not a big fan, as you've probably made note of on this podcast, but I really don't want this to be about whether I like Donald Trump or not. It's more so that I don't think he's very good at politics and doesn't really engage in diplomacy or governance. Again, he does some of that, and people like that about him a good bit, but let's not forget that a couple of months ago, or maybe even less than that, he almost tweeted us into a declaration of war with North Korea. Yes, it was a month ago, September 23rd. Quote, Just heard Foreign Minister of North Korea speak at UN. If he echoes thoughts of Little Rocket Man, his cute name for Kim Jong-un, they won't be around much longer. North Korea, of course, almost used this tweet as a justification to try to start a war with the United States and make the United States look like the aggressor, which obviously would not go well in a large geopolitical conflict in any way. But my point here is... Donald Trump is not good at politics because I believe politics, in the truest sense of it, involves diplomacy in the form of governance and some sort of compromise, which generally our president seems unwilling to do. And again, that's a positive for a lot of people. For me, I consider it to be a negative. And that goes along with lately I've been seeing President Obama, President Bush, President Clinton all making appearances together and seeming to get along quite well. And again, whether you like Donald Trump or not, I don't see him fitting in that narrative. I don't see him buddy-buddying with George Bush and Barack Obama and Bill Clinton after he is no longer president. I just don't picture that because I just don't think the Donald is a tip... Per- I just don't think... I just don't think Donald Trump is a very politically friendly guy. I just don't think Donald Trump will engage in that form of diplomacy across parties. I'm not seeing a whole lot of that, and I wish I was. I wish I was from Donald Trump, regardless of however you feel about him politically, positively, or negatively. That will wrap up this edition of Sports and More. Thank you so much for listening. A lot of stuff we got covered on this episode. Again, I apologize for not having more episodes uploaded in the past couple of weeks. It has nothing at all to do with the emergence of FIFA 18 in my PlayStation 4. I just want to reiterate that. It has absolutely nothing at all to do with that whatsoever. Please email me with comments, questions, concerns, gripes, or grumbles at sportsandmorepodcast at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at sportsandmore4. I post polls, updates about the podcast every single episode there. You can also listen on SoundCloud or subscribe on iTunes, search Sports and More, so you never miss an episode to your favorite Apple device. Looking at you, Red Sox, and your Apple Watch. I'm John Thomas, sending you on your way and into the weekend the only way I know how after this podcast. Have a great day, Merry Christmas, and Happy Holidays.